Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? It's called recycling. Ever heard of it? Ay, ay, ay. The Portuguese <laughs> will recycle anything. Even a grave. Even a grave. <laughs> even a grave site. <laughs> We're going to get into that as part of our nostalgia topic today. We've got some other stuff to cover first for you in our social media roundup culture. It's interesting because our episode kind of like all blends together today. Like I, you don't know where to draw the line between culture, nostalgia and social media because I had a bunch of like good stuff come in through Reddit responses today about the burial traditions that we're going to talk about in our nostalgia topic. So like we're blurring all the lines between all the topics. It's really a culture topic, but we have other culture topics for you. So let's just do it. All right. It's going to be a mishmash. It's going to be an organized mishmash, though. Very organized. We have a nice. full outline, yeah. very detailed, very lengthy that we're going through with you today. <laughs> Melissa is very organized. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> It only sounds like we're going off on unrelated tangents, but they're pre-planned sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I posted a couple of days ago on our Instagram. If you don't follow us, give us a follow at underscore. It's called culture. And we had talked about wedding pranks prior. And I had just posted a question asking our listeners or our Instagram followers about any pranks that happened to them growing up as kids. I had a really hard time thinking of pranks that happened to me because I think like my brother just messed with me all the time. <laughs> so I'm like, I couldn't think of like an actual like real prank that he did to me. I don't have a sibling, so I don't know what that's like. But <laughs> so no one pranks you. I can imagine it's just like constant torment. Like my brother just messed with me all the time. Like he like he put gum in my hair, so he would cut it. Like he just messed with me all the time. He would like steal a VHS and like replace the VHS with something else just to like you know, it's an older brother. <laughs> older brother a little sit the dynamic. That sounds like sweet, but like also terrible at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's all you don't want it. <laughs> So one of the responses that we received was their cousin locked him in a trunk of the car with a dead pig from the Matassa. <laughs> I can't. I can't. They said they were like still traumatized by this, right? I fucking would be. Just reading it made me traumatized. So I can't imagine experiencing that. Was it like the whole pig? Was it that, just the head? Like, did he turn around in the trunk and like the little snout was just facing him with like the teeth coming out of the mouth? Oh my gosh. That's a nightmare. Yeah, it had to not have been that big of a pig, right? Because I don't think you could fit like the full size pigs that I would see at a Matanza <laughs> in the back of a trunk unless you like pulled the seats down. <laughs> it had it just kind of hanging into the back seat. I could see somebody doing that. So I guess the bigger question is, I didn't realize we were transporting these in the trunks of sedans. Like a Toyota Corolla? <laughs> yeah, I thought this was strictly a pickup truck situation. It would make not. sense with a pickup truck, right? Mm. Would make sense. But are we a sensible culture? Not really. <laughs> we just make it work. We just figure it out. 
Might be a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> Might be a Hyundai Accent. <laughs> sponsor us. Oh my gosh. I don't think Toyota Corolla is going to want to sponsor us when they hear the segment that they got mentioned in was <laughs> about being locked in the trunk with a dead pig. But <laughs> Doesn't your mom have like a Toyota Corolla from 19 something? Just look, see how long that lasted. Toyota, you want to sponsor us? <laughs> My mom's a big Toyota family. <laughs> she is. She did like Camrys. She had multiple Camrys that lasted forever, each of them. And now she's on a Toyota Corolla more recently. <laughs> See? You go, Toyota. You just want to sponsor us. I drive a Toyota. My parents drive a Toyota. <laughs> Now I'm just thinking of my little car, my RAV4, and I'm definitely not shoving a pig in there. You couldn't pay me enough to shove a pig in there. Okay, so it, like I hope they never get questioned in a murder because they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna get like DNA. They're gonna go in there with the I don't know what they use bioluminescent algae <laughs> and <laughs> the luminol, and they're gonna <laughs> see all this blood in the carpet of your trunk. Well, pigs don't have they don't really have hair, but do they have like some hair fibers on them? Like you know how they like prickly? They're prickly, so like. Yeah. But if, like some of that comes off with it, and now they think it has hair with the blood. <laughs> well, now the person who sent this in, they their DNA is all mixed back in there in the oh, trunk too. Shit. Now he's just been implicated. <laughs> this prank just went totally wrong. It went from a kid prank to a CSI investigation. This is how people end up in jail in innocent wrongfully accused <laughs> oh my gosh imagine trying to explain to the officer no that's the blood from the pig that i murdered and then drove to the church basement to participate in culty activities <laughs> i guess if you're getting if you got caught around here like where we live where well where i live he would be like, oh, all right, I get it. So you're going to a matansa. <laughs> I'll just write you a citation. <laughs> but if you were like in the Midwest, maybe where this wasn't common, then it would be a little, you know, suspicious. Yeah, you're right. So locally, like the police probably have like a check box on their form <laughs> for like matansa related. So that's like exemptions from the citation. Checkbox matansa. You could, like, kind of get away with murder, though. Like, if you really did kill somebody and then you use the pig to cover the blood. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I was actually horrified that you were going down this path, but now it just jogged something in my memory. Did you watch Pretty Little Liars? Yes. Yep. That's the one with Reese Witherspoon, right? No, 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 no. That's, that's Big Little Lies. No, sorry. No, I didn't watch Pretty Little Lies. It's the one that's on ABC Freeform, right? And it's... The girls, right? I don't do networks. I don't know. I don't know networks. Yeah, I know which one it is, but I didn't watch it. The four girls that get tormented. Yes. Yeah. Yep. One of the episodes, it was actually like a season ender left. So like, let's say, I, I don't know, I think it was season three ended on a cliffhanger where the girls like opened the trunk of this car. It was a police car and they opened the trunk of the car and it doesn't show you what's in the trunk, but they all are horrified and they're all like, oh my God. And they're gasping, right? 
and then they just ended the season that way and then you had to wait like three months for the new season to start and when the new season started the first episode it opens with them at that trunk of the police car and there's a dead pig in the trunk (laughs) were they portuguese no (laughs) did they go to matanza the cop shows up dead like a few days later so like the pig was like foreshadowing to like the cop is dead but Put four Portuguese girls over there open in that trunk. You see a dead pig. We're not reacting that way. We're taking it over to Vavo's basement and she's going to dress that up nice. She's going to she's going to have say it tonight. I was just thinking that like if we remade that episode. It'd be a totally different outcome. You'd be just I'd be like showing up to your grandmother's house and we'd be delivered to pick to them. We wouldn't be freaked out by it at all. Hey, Vavo, free pig. Free poof over here. Well, needless to say, I couldn't remember any of my pranks. That was a messed up prank. Just being locked up in a trunk is scary. All alone, period. <laughs> right there. End of sentence. I'm already scared. You know, I don't need the dead pig. That the dead pig is just that's that's too much. That's over the top. It's overkill. And I'm assuming this was back in the day when the cars didn't have like the latch. You know, now if you get stuck in the trunk. If someone shoves you in there and kidnaps you, there's a latch in the back of your trunk that you can pull and just so it opens the trunk up and you can like jump out of the, the trunk if you need to, if you're being kidnapped. Oh. This was probably back in the day where you didn't have that latch. <laughs> so you were fucked. I did not know that there was a latch now. In my mind, it was like you got to punch out the taillight and stick your hands out. <laughs> the taillight hole. <laughs> That's right. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to punch out the taillight. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Well, just check to see if there's a latch. If not, (laughs) punch the taillight. Some people drive around with cars for some unknown reason with like a a hand like hanging out. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Even like not around Halloween, I've seen them. It was just so stupid. If I got my hand out the taillight, someone's going to just think it's one of those unless I'm, I guess, like flipping them off or like doing something. Maybe like trying to actively move it, like move your hand while you're doing it. Who knows? (laughs) I need to learn sign language for SOS. Oh, great segue. I'm going to learn the sign language for Mayday. You know, like the Mayday distress call. Leave it to Melissa. Our culture topic that we're moving into (laughs) right now. Mayday. Dia Dishmayesh. Not the same Mayday distress call from the French word for Mayday, whatever it's called, but close enough. Yep, this is the first day of May, May 1st. And of course, (laughs) there's a crazy story attached to it. This started off so innocently. This wasn't even a podcast topic for us. This just was so innocent. Like your mom was telling you it was Dia Dushmayaj and she was kind of telling you what it was about. You put some these flowers near your door of your house so you can ward off evil spirits. And then the straw people that they would make, they would have those too. We're going to all get into it. Sounds like a voodoo doll. Yeah, I was like, wait, what is this? And then I think I went into work and I was like trying to Google and then like I was asking you about it. I was like, have you ever heard of this? <laughs> like these straw dolls that they make and they like have them sitting on the benches throughout their town and their village. So it started as that. We were researching like that side of the the traditions about May Day. 
with the flowers and the evil spirits and the straw dolls. And then you were like, but is it also like Labor Day? Like we were trying to figure out like, what is the and how is this connected to Labor Day? Like it's not, it's not, but they're both happening on the same day. And then we just went into the rabbit hole as we do. Boop, right down. I down into the rabbit hole. I went. <laughs> On the May Day type celebrations, I think that's very European. Like they have like the the Maypole dancing and like that sort of thing. I feel like it was all like kind of pagan ritual related, bringing in the spring fertility of the land and the crops and all that kind of stuff I feel like that was where some of that origin was yeah because it's gonna say like May 1st is what officially marks springtime they're very into celebrating it (laughs) what about March 22nd (laughs) isn't March 22nd the beginning of spring (laughs) spring. they say it's associated to spring and then the month of May is a tribute to the goddess of earth and flowers, which is like, I think her name is Maya. <laughs> Maya as well. It's all that, all wrapped up in one day. And then for some reason, we're trying to ward off evil spirits also. Mm-hmm. So like, I get the whole like, oh, we're bringing in the spring and we want fertile grounds and we're going to do this little celebration, like whatever, that's all cool. But then like, why do we got to ward off the evil spirits do you think that the evil spirits are like killing the crops so it's like hey Uh, let's ward you off from like killing our crops could be but doesn't it seem kind of odd that they're killing crops and putting them on the doorstep to ward off the evil spirit from killing their crops (laughs) (laughs) but i guess they're the flower that they're putting on the doorstep is not a crop i guess it's a it's kind of like a weed right it's like an invasive weed yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> that's the Portuguese broom. So the flower is called the Portuguese broom because it, lo- it looks like a basura. It does. <laughs> like if you dried that out, like once the flowers are off and it's just remaining with the sticks and you bundle that together, that's a good basura. And like, and that there's like a picture with like a hand holding it. Right now, and I'm just like, oh yeah, that that could definitely be made into a basura. <laughs> I see a grandmother making that into a broom. They're like yellow flowers on it. Mm-hmm. It must be some Good. native native invasive species to the area. Hairy fruited broom, or Portuguese broom. So some of the regions, red more was like in Portugal than the Azores. Is a tradition associated with chestnuts, which countrymen would purposely keep chestnuts consume on the first day of may because if you don't eat chestnuts on the first day (laughs) a donkey might bite you so it the proverb is whoever doesn't eat chestnuts on first of may rides it on a donkey which means whoever passes by a donkey and hasn't eaten chestnuts runs the risk of being bitten by one no idea what any of that has to do with any of it (laughs) what in the world I, I really love finding like reading about these like funny traditions. I wonder how much of them still stand. I, I can't imagine very many of these are like still practiced eh, yeah. all that much. I don't know. Like, do you think the men in the countryside are still eating chestnuts? 
they must they maybe they have it like in their little platter you know like if they have if anyone ever comes over on the first day of may as like a visita they might have some like chestnuts to eat but i don't think they're concerned that like a donkey's gonna bite them if they don't eat one it's like part of their christmas platter non but even though it's not christmas Do you think they need to update these proverbs because this was probably created in a time where like they were riding donkeys? Does the proverb need to be like, okay, if you don't eat a chestnut on the 1st of May, someone's going to rear-end your Toyota Corolla? We just we need to be a little more modern with our proverbs here. We need to update them. That's what we're the youth. We're we're bringing updates <laughs> to these proverbs, okay? We need to bring it into the millennials. <laughs> Yeah, because I, when I was reading that, I'm like, how often are you running into a donkey today? <laughs> <laughs> like, never. never. <laughs> Do they have, like, like donkey crossing signs, like, on the roads? I think the only donkey I see is at La Salette in the for Christmas time. They have a donkey there. <laughs> a real one? Yeah, they do. Do they have like a living manger? Is that what they're doing? Not a living one, but they have like a manger and then they have like a real live donkey on the side that you can like pet. I'm like, that poor thing. (laughs) I'm like, let it loose. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So another tradition is Mayu Mosu, which is young girls must decorate a boy and walk him along the street and they dance and they sing around him. I think this sounds great. I want to be that young girl. It's always about finding a mate, right? Every, all of this comes like, it's just always trying to find, you got to find your mate or your soulmate. Even like the maypole dances and stuff. I feel like there was always like a courtship component to it. Like my dad would never let me do this as a young kid. Like I was a young girl. I barely could have a guy call my house. So why are these traditions like pushing these young girls? to meet these guys or meet boys like i wouldn't be able to participate this like i would see you leaving go and get the young boy to go decorate (laughs) i'd be watching you through the window (laughs) because my dad wouldn't let me participate in that you know like that's such a true statement though because we grew up with that as our reality where they're like so strict and they don't want anything to do with boys and they don't want to let you do anything but you look back at their generation and you're like, how strict could you have had it? Like you were married at 18. So obviously you were getting some action somehow. <laughs> you were dating before you were, like, you were 12. Like, let's be real. Like you were 12 and you were in a serious, committed relationship. <laughs> Being in a committed relationship. But like to them, like, what did that mean? That meant that they could go on a supervised date to the festa. I, you know, like it's, uh, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, I think that was my mom's first date with my dad to the festa and my grandmother. And then my dad was like, we need to lose her. <laughs> so they like ran and snuck away. God knows what they, what they did. <laughs> go, go put her at the bazaar to unroll the bilach for a little few minutes. We can get a moment of peace. There's always a winner, winner in every bag. <laughs> Imagine needing a chaperone for a date. No. It's all like the Duggars, the Duggars kids. It's all they did. They got chaperoned. You chaperoned a few of my dates, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tagged along. So here's where it gets, starts to get interesting. Here's where it goes from like, okay, normal 
traditional stuff into the more sinister, if you will. (laughs) You had mentioned when you first brought up this May Day thing to me, you were like, is this Labor Day? Like, what is this internationally or for Portugal or what have you? And so I started looking into it. I found this NPR article, which I'll put in the show notes. The title of the article is, What is May Day? For the most part, the opposite of capitalism. Down the rabbit hole, I went and I found out about the Chicago Haymarket Affair of 1886. I think prior to this, there was some like Australian worker strike where they were trying to get better conditions or like eight hour work days because they had been, this was like during the industrial revolution, I guess, or that time where people were working crazy, I don't know, 10, 12, 16 hour days in the factories. And like horrible conditions. And so they were, everyone was trying to kind of fight for an eight hour workday, which now we're just like, would you have gone a little lower? Like a four hour workday. <laughs> that fucking eight hour shit stuck and we don't like it. Hasn't been touched since. It's been just eight hours. <laughs> this Chicago one, they made this concerted effort that said they were going to strike as of May 1st. Of, a, of this year, this 1886. Four days into the strike, it's a concern for the deadly when I guess like the workers and the police force, like it, think of it as like a big protest and you're, you have police or some kind of National Guard situation that is policing this. We've seen a lot of that. Somehow. So it was already like pretty tense, I think, anyways. Like I think people were probably already getting injured and like there was back and forth, there was fighting and this and that. But Someone threw a bomb into the mix. This bomb goes off and just causes chaos. So I think the bomb itself injured or killed a police officer. But then subsequent to that, it was just chaos and there was just shots being fired. It said that most of the police injured were after the bomb and they were like getting caught in each other's crossfire. Like they were shooting at each other. Like most of it was like police on police shots. And then, of course, a lot of the workers that were protesting got injured in that as well. But that caused quite a stir, as you can imagine. Sounds like chaos. They ended up like finding eight men to arrest for this bomb situation. And I guess from what I'm reading is it was all a little shady. Like they couldn't really connect these people to the incident. There were some loose connections for some of them. Like maybe there were some people that truly were involved. But of the eight, like. There were some of them that really had no connection to this and they were just going down with the ship. I believe seven of them were set to be executed. Maybe a couple of them either died before they got executed or committed suicide before they got executed. Ultimately, I think they executed four, like they hung four people for this bomb situation. And the workers that had been out there, they had been chanting eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, eight hours for what we will. So it's like, that's what apparently what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sleep eight hours, work eight hours, and then have eight hours to do what you want, which is fucking Mm -hmm. chores and driving to and from work, taking care of a child. Or maybe working another job. (laughs) It's not as fun as as they would make it out to seem. They make it out to seem like it's like eight hours of recreation. Yeah. It is not that. We need to change that chant to four hours for work, eight hours for rest. (laughs) And whatever all the time is for what we will. <laughs> 12 hours for. Thank you. <laughs> streaming Netflix. That's right. Sign me up. 
So the following day, so the very next day after this whole Chicago incident in Milwaukee, there was more strikes going on there. The state militia fired on a crowd of strikers, killing seven people, including a schoolboy and a man who was feeding chickens in his yard. So things got pretty tense during this time. This whole labor strike, and I'm sure the Milwaukee situation, all garnered international attention sparked worldwide conversations i don't think it was immediate but after the fact it sparked worldwide workers day on may 1st and the u.s was like no we're not into that we're not into that what's that (laughs) that labor day that you guys are talking about like we're having a bit of a time here and we're not really We're not going to add fuel to the fire. We're not going to give these people a day because of all this chaos that was happening. They were trying to suppress it, basically. They were trying to suppress it in the U.S. And other countries were seeing it as an opportunity to give a workers' day, a labor day, a workers' rights day, that kind of thing. Even before this happened, there was already talks of a labor day in the U.S. And they were trying to figure out when it should be. And somebody suggested, like, Oh, September is a lovely time of year for picnicking. And it's conveniently, if you look at the calendar, it's like halfway between our other holidays of 4th of July and Thanksgiving. So why don't we just pick that? And so like that was on the table for an option for Labor Day in the U.S. And May 1st, which is what the rest of the world does or was doing by this time, Mm -hmm. was on the table for Labor Day. Democratic president Grover Cleveland was one of those that was concerned that a labor holiday on May 1st would tend to become a commemoration of the Haymarket affair and would strengthen socialist and anarchist movements that backed the May 1 commemoration around the globe. So he publicly supported the September Labor Day as a less inflammatory alternative and formally adopted that as the U.S. federal holiday in 1894. So basically, he just didn't want Labor Day on May 1st to be a reminder of the chaos that ensued. Like, hush, hush. Let's suppress, distract, suppress, distract. That's a lot of that. And I just find it so interesting because it's like one of those things, again, where like the whole world is doing one thing and we're just off in our own fucking land doing our own freaking thing for no reason other than to suppress worker uprising. Right. It's a metric system all over again. (laughs) Nothing new here in the United States. (laughs) Nothing to see. So then they said, you know what? We've moved it to September as a diversion. It's like a diversion. (laughs) So now that's all I'm going to think about when Labor Day comes around in September. But then that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for them. They said when May 1st comes around... If the rest of the world is celebrating all of this workers' rights on May 1st, we need something for us on May 1st to distract. What are we going to do? So they came up with two things that they signed into as U.S. holidays. These are official on the books for May 1. One of them is called Loyalty Day. And one of them is called Law Day. And I'm going to tell you what those are. I'm going to say I'm not aware of those. (laughs) Wait, wait, it's not a holiday that we get to take off from work. Yes, you're right. It's clearly not a day that we get off from work. 
But Loyalty Day is observed on May 1st in the United States. It is a day set aside, quote, for the reaffirmation of loyalty to the United States and for the recognition of the heritage of American freedom, end quote. The date, May 1, was set in order to counter International Workers' Day and was conceived in the height of the Second Red Scare. Oh, my gosh. So it was originally called Americanization Day. It's a, it's a mental matter. <laughs> Let me get this right. You didn't want to give us a holiday on May 1st because you didn't want us to remember about the 1886 drama. You know, let's give it let's give them September. But then we're going to make May 1st a holiday. <laughs> so why couldn't you just make it the freaking holiday that the Labor Day holiday? If you're going to make it a holiday anyways. No, because it's a different holiday. So it's <laughs> this one is so that you're reaffirming your loyalty to the United States on this day instead of remembering <laughs> the Haymarket affair. I want to do a big eye roll. <laughs> big eye roll. And so this is in statute. Like this is not like this is not like one of those days that's just like floss your teeth day. This is in <laughs> statute. This is 36 <laughs> USC section 115. It says the president is requested to issue a proclamation. And I think somewhere I read, not in this, but somewhere I read that every like sitting president since this became a thing has to on May 1st go out and make a proclamation about loyalty day. So we should look up and see if Biden made the proclamation this week. Yeah, we should. The president is requested to issue a proclamation calling on United States government officials to display the flag of the United States on all government buildings on Loyalty Day and inviting the people of the United States to observe Loyalty Day with appropriate ceremonies in schools and other suitable places. Well, maybe this May is an exception because the United States kind of going through some stuff. <laughs> maybe Biden was like, we're not going to celebrate it. <laughs> We're not going to do anything. Let's just let it go. Biden loyalty day. America's roughing it right now. May 1st, 2023. Now, therefore, I, Joseph R. Biden Jr., President of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim May 1, 2023 as loyalty day. This loyalty day, I call upon the people of the United States to join in this nation observance, display the American flag and pledge allegiance to our republic for which it stands. I feel like you kind of giving me like a JFK live like <laughs> accent. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he just cited the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, he plagiarized the Pledge of Pledge of Allegiance, but <laughs> he kept he kept it basic. <laughs> so there's that, and then the other one was Law Day. Law Day also codified as a special day of celebration for people of the United States. Is it? Is it? It's the first time I'm hearing of it. <laughs> Same right here. It's It's for appreciation of their liberties and reaffirmation of their loyalty to the United States and of their rededication to the ideals of equality and justice under law in their relations with each other and with other countries and for the cultivation of the respect for law that is so vital to the democratic way of life. It's a little ironic to put that on this day, right? Right. On a day when... People would argue that justice was not necessarily served. <laughs> it was criticized as being intended to reduce the influence of May Day or International Workers Day, a holiday that originated with the Haymarket Affair in Chicago. It's very interesting because 
the whole May Day that the rest of the world celebrates is in support of American workers who were being subjected to brutal violence and judicial punishment. So then the U.S. is like, oh, no, we're just going to put that under the rug. And instead, we're going to make you pledge your allegiance to America with Loyalty Day. And we're going to have Law Day on the same day so that you we remind you that you need to be a law abiding citizen. (laughs) So it's so messed up. It's so messed up. Who's sitting behind the typewriter thinking of this? Because, you know, this is written on a typewriter back then. It's too too dumb. So dumb. <laughs> They're like, what words can we put together? <laughs> uh, I don't even want to say because, like, I'm not trying to get political, but like, this is Donald Trump level of thinking. We we can get like that though, because I, I I'm gonna say I can't stand them <laughs> again. We're not getting political, but I hate them. <laughs> so. As a, as a person, as yes. a human being, <laughs> strictly unpolitical. Yes, but like, isn't this like this is like a Donald Trump level scheme? It smells like it's coming from that orange maniac. (laughs) (laughs) Right from the laranja. (laughs) Okay. In Portugal, the May 1st celebration was suppressed during the dictatorship, the Estad Nouve. And the first Workers' Day demonstration was held a week after the Carnation Revolution of April 25th, 1974. According to this I don't know when this was written, but it still remained as the largest demonstration in the history of Portugal, used as an opportunity for workers and workers groups to voice their discontent over working conditions. It is an official public holiday. And I believe you saw some stuff that they were still marching and celebrating it this year. Yeah, it was I and my mom watches RCP a lot and it was still showing is that like a special subscription that they have to buy to get that channel? I'll tell you all fear. <laughs> oh, oh, it's law day. Just, <laughs> just saying. All this said, the Catholic Church, of course, didn't want to be left out. So <laughs> that's it. <laughs> they decided to dedicate May 1st to Joseph the worker. all right so speaking of joseph this is going to take us around to something that i wanted to talk about but it wasn't on our schedule jerry springer dying all right there was a meme that somebody posted it was a picture of jerry with his little mic and his little jerry springer card that he had on the show and he's standing in between jesus and joseph maybe I don't know who this other character is. <laughs> it's not Joseph. That's got to be somebody who runs the pearly gates up in heaven. I don't know. St. Peter, maybe. Who knows? And the, the caption on it says, Jerry Springer already causing trouble in the afterlife. And, and then it says, quote, let's bring out Mary's husband, Joseph. <laughs> Just the thought of like having Joseph have to come on to Jerry Springer. And then they probably bring out Mary and she'd be like, so Mary claims. She got pregnant without ever having sex. Joseph claims that's not true. They're going to bring out a third guy, the real pie. (laughs) The real father. It just makes me laugh because I'm like, mom, do you really believe that Mary had a baby and didn't have sex? Like, I asked her this. (laughs) 
What did she say? And she said, of course she did. <laughs> of course she had a baby. <laughs> so it's like, Jerry, <laughs> get the answers. One ancestry test would solve all of this. Solve the whole religion. It's why you take it down and <laughs> tear it apart. Do you think that DNA is salvageable from those old relics? <laughs> so I remember asking my mom that. And, you know, she truly believes that whenever she got pregnant without having sex. So in my brain, I was like, oh, you know, if I ever get pregnant, which I never wanted to or planned on to and never will. But I was like, oh, well, I guess. And this was when I was obviously younger. I was like, oh, if I ever get pregnant young, I can just be like, I don't have sex. <laughs> If you can believe it for Mary, why can't you believe it for me? Right. Your own daughter. <laughs> Second coming of Jesus right here. We've all been waiting for this moment. Isn't this what it's all about? Mama, your prayers have been answered. <laughs> Listen, these these segues, they don't write themselves, all right? But Jerry Springer <laughs> was a TV show. It had some writers. I'm sure if it was still around today, they would be on strike because there's a writer strike going mm. on. And I just think this just ties into this whole Workers' Day conversation. It's the Writers Guild of America strike. I think it just started. I think it started yesterday, Tuesday, May 2nd. We're at the very beginning of it. I don't know how long it will last, but they've had a strike. They've had several strikes before, but the most recent was the 2007-2008 writer's strike, which went on for quite a while. I'm pretty sure that was like a 100-day strike or something. They talk about it in one of the Office podcasts that I listened to with two main girls, Jenna Fisher and Angela. And it was whatever season it was that they were on were short episodes because of this 2000-2008 strike. They didn't have enough episodes for that season because writers stopped writing. And I read something specifically that they had to shut down production on The Office because Steve Carell was a member of the Writers Guild he wanted to like be in solidarity with them and right. was like no mm -hmm. we're we're shutting it all down like i'm not showing up i think in general those type of scripted shows either depending on where they were in their production schedule i'm sure they either had to just postpone or delay when they were releasing their new episodes or truncate the season like you said like only release half of the episodes that they planned on releasing or something like that the shows that I think were the hardest hit were shows with like immediacy. So like the Tonight Show, like the those types of daily type of talk show. Every night, yeah. So like Jer Jerry Springer would have been struggling <laughs> during the writer's strike. But, but like all the late night shows, SNL, like that type of stuff, I think. Yeah. SNL is actually canceled this week. Right. So it's like that immediacy of like, no, we need an episode for tomorrow. Some of the ones that are the least impacted are the shows that are sort of like game shows or reality TV type things that are like very, they're loosely scripted, but not to the mm -hmm. extent that a TV show would be. And so those types of things, I think, increased. Like they did like extra seasons of Big Brother. It had two seasons that year instead of one. And so other things like that those survivor those types of things increase so now that this writer strike is going on people are all talking about the 2007 2008 strike and people are talking about how the apprentice which was donald trump's show i guess the ratings had been dropping on regular apprentice but then 
during this strike, I guess they greenlit Celebrity Apprentice or something. And that was a huge smash hit. And that's when people really got roped into the show. And he gained a lot of popularity during that time. And like people are like, the writer's strike caused Donald Trump to be president. And I'm like, okay, so there's a lot of connections being made there. That might be a stretch, but also that's terrifying. (laughs) Now we're in another one again. Who's going to rise to fame as the next president? It would have been Jerry, but he's <laughs> he's in heaven with Joseph. He was in politics. He was a mayor. We learned that. Mayor of somewhere. Cincinnati. There you go. <laughs> Did you know that he had to, he had some like prostitute scandal? No. <laughs> That's why his political career was cut short. <laughs> Oh, Jerry. And he was like very open about it when it came out. He's like, I wrote a check. I wasn't trying to hide it. I wrote a check for a prostitute. Like that was in his campaign. Like he tried to run again. And in his campaign was like, I have nothing to hide. I wrote a check for my prostitute. You know what? I'd rather have a candidate that's open and honest. <laughs> that's who I'm going to vote for. Jerry had your vote. Yep. <laughs> And I don't I don't think his show was what it was originally. Like originally his show was more politically driven and they were talking about things like guns and homelessness and like real politically driven topics and issues. Somehow it got like a new producer and they're like, yeah, we're going to go in a different direction. And then they just started doing what we know as Jerry Springer show. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. All right. I. I don't have a good segue from Jerry Springer to our next topic. We're we're getting into our nostalgia topic now. So we're going, we're traveling back in time to the Azores. Back in the day, back in the day buffet. We're going to talk about some burial customs, traditions, that sort of thing from not modern day Azores, but back in the day buffet (laughs) stuff. I had this conversation with my dad and he was talking about how it used to be back then and this and that. And I don't know if it started, we were talking about hospitals and I was like, how did you guys get to the hospital? Cause it was only the hospital in the city and it was so far away and nobody had a car and that sort of thing. And he's like, people just died. <laughs> they just fucking died. Like you just didn't make it there. And he's like, sometimes you'd gather like the one guy in the village who had a truck and you're like i'm like what if somebody had a heart attack you know like where what are you doing with that person to resuscitate them you're not grabbing an aed off the wall what are you doing right. with them you're not pumping their chest to staying alive by the bgs like what are you doing <laughs> they probably didn't even know cpr back then either that's what i'm saying so he says i don't know sometimes you just throw them in the back of a pickup truck and you drive of somebody's truck the the village truck the one truck of the detude, the detude had a truck or whatever it was. Not that there was there was no detude in the village, let's be serious. <laughs> but they're driving to the city to the hospital. And I'm like, they were probably dead before you even put them in the truck, right? And he's like, probably. So it's like a formality. I don't know. Just but an attempt. Guarantee if they got shoved in a Toyota Corolla, they would survive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is not the route to get a sponsor for Toyota Corolla. <laughs> Either way, my dad was just like, people just died. Yeah, unfortunately, but yes. And I'm like, so what did you do with them? Because again, there was no funeral homes. There was no, none of that. There, there was no preserving the body. There was none of that. And he's like, you just, you dress them up in their own house. 
typically on like he said he said he made it sound like they would put like a board i'm I'm assuming like it was like a piece of plywood or something like they put down mm-hmm. on the bed i guess to like not have a dead person laying on the sheet so there's something i don't know were there even sheets who knows so <laughs> they put the person there and then one of the people on reddit mentioned something about they'd put like a cloth a white cloth over them maybe so i guess that's like open casket closed casket the, the cloth, <laughs> cloth on or off i don't know mm-hmm. Maybe depending on the manner of death, you would have people come in and it was like kind of like a wake or like a viewing or final praying over the body or whatever you want to call it, but in your house. And I feel like that's why it's called a living room. I didn't, oh, I didn't get to look this up before we started this episode, but. I just listened to something about this not too long ago. Right? Because like the living room was like where the living people are. And then there was like, yes, you'd have to put people in a different room if they were the dead person viewing. Right? Living rooms were called death rooms in the Victorian era. Until the late 19th century, the front parlor was the room in the house used for formal social events, including where the recent deceased were laid out before their funeral. I have a picture of a deceased person in a coffin, and they're just like in the living room. This room had only traditionally been used on Sundays or for formal occasions, such as the ceremonies of deceased family members before proper burial. It was the buffer zone between the public and private area within the house. Oh, shit. So is that what that extra living room is in everybody's house? The front parlor? Yeah. With the fancy furniture and the plushed on the seats? Plastic coverings? Ay, ay, ay. Sorry, I, I just I came across a couple of pictures, so a little... <laughs> I'm a little taken back. I like I just saw a bunch of pictures that looked like they were in a wake in the living room. My grandparents' house here in the US had a front parlor and a living room. But the house they were living in back in the village in the Fregzia, there was no front parlor, no back parlor. There was no living room. There was no couches. There was none of that. Let's be real. There was three rooms in this house. There was the center room. I don't know what the purpose was. And there was a kitchen and there was a, a room with a bed. That was it. And the toilet was outside, outhouse. <laughs> so I'm thinking of my grandmother's house on my mom's side. It was a little bit bigger and it had like a living room area. It had like the bedroom across and like a little kitchen. And then they have like the outside area. But I'm thinking of the living room because when my grandfather was really sick and he was dying, he was in that living room like in a little bed and I can't recall if my mom said when he died like I feel like he died and he stayed in that room I'll probably yeah the house yeah yeah and then like you're supposed to hang out in that living room afterwards like when the dead body's gone (laughs) you're gonna pretend we just didn't have a body in here So this is so bad because this is such like a morbid subject. But this next thing that I'm going to tell you, I just found so hysterical because my dad said that my grandfather was the guy who would make the coffins in their village or maybe one of the guys. I don't know if there's more than one. So I'm like, what do you mean? Because they're getting buried. Like the timing of all this is like somebody dies and then they're getting buried like same day, next day, tops. Yeah, yeah. You're not going out further than that because there's no preservation of the body. They are just... They want to get rid of that thing. They want that thing in the ground. So he's building the coffin for these people like same day. And he's like, yeah, while they're laying out on the bed at the house, he said, Vavu used to go in there and he'd take the measurements. He'd take them in detail. 
was just a dead person laying there, and he'd walk in through the <laughs> the grieving family, and he'd get his little. I don't know what I can't even imagine them having a measuring tape. But I, I know this is like just me being ignorant, but like. No, they probably didn't have a measuring tape. He probably had like a piece of rope and then he just marked it <laughs> for how big the person big, was big so that he, he need. yeah, so that he could build a box to fit the person. First of all, I just feel like you should kind of have like a standard size box that fits <laughs> most people. Like, are you trying to conserve that much Madeira? Absolutely. Can't waste. I don't want to waste any wood. I'm not trying to make this box <laughs> too big. <laughs> I got to go over there and get the exact medida <laughs> so I can go home and make the kashot. And you brought up a good point because like you could probably just have a standard size because most Portuguese people are not that tall. We're not a tall group of people. No. We are not. <laughs> so, so just make a standard one that fits 95% of the Portuguese population. <laughs> If you get a tall manel every once in a while, you just get to Make like an extension. El fico kushpesh photo. That's it. No small. When you mention they put like um some type of sheet over the dead body. And it just, I think my mom said they did that because of the bugs. The bugs. The bugs. Oh, shit. They're not getting all that chemical stuff, right? Oh. And you're in like a hot, humid, moist, tropical environment. Like, yeah, it's because my mom, I remember specifically my mom saying she needs a black, like, lace veil to put over my grandmother. And then I was like, I just remember being like, what's going on? And it was for the bugs. I'm pretty certain. Listeners, let us know. <laughs> That's so interesting. That makes sense, too. Like, there's always mushkush flying around over there. And me. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So. Not to call a dead body dead meat, but <laughs> a bug doesn't know. You know what I mean? So these coffins that my grandfather was making, there was nothing. I'm like, was this, this was just a rectangle box of plywood, right? Like that, there was nothing to these things. Right. And he said, well, he said Vavu used to make a little thing at the top, like he would like curve the two little pieces of wood at the top around their head. So like he gave it a little shape at the top, but it was basically plywood. He said the women of the village would come and have black cloth that they would like line the box with. There must be a cemetery in or around the church at somewhere where they would bury them. I posed this question with what I knew about burials from what my dad told me in this conversation to Reddit about prior generations burial customs in the azores and i got some interesting responses and i'm going to read one of them to you here because i liked it so they responded back to me and they said all very true to all of the things that i just talked about and then they said as soon as word was received of a death in the village the church bells would ring the death toll everyone could hear it and would know someone had passed if there was someone sick in the village, you would almost instantly know who it was. Sometimes it was a sudden death or an accident. The whole village would almost stop with the news. They would take a small black wooden wagon with two wheels and leave it in front of the house where the deceased lay. Sometimes the deceased was so poor that his or her own home was too small, so they would lay at a family member's home or a neighbor. They would usually place the body on the bed in the nicest room they had, covered with a sheer white cloth. 
The family and friends would stay up all night praying the rosary and crying around the body. Most homes were very small and the crowds usually gathered out into the street. In the morning, the casket was placed onto the wagon and pushed to the cemetery. I will never forget the sound of the wagon wheels riding noisily over the cobblestone streets while the widows wail and cry over the bodies of their dead husbands. So I responded and then they responded back again and said the bells were very ominous indeed. I forget exactly how long they would ring for, but it was for a while. As soon as you heard the bells, you would remove your hat, bow your head and do the sign of the cross. My family's also from San Miguel. So they, that's specific. I think they were in the Frudenish area. The bell thing was so interesting to me because I never thought about the bells, the, the, the church bells doing like a death toll. So you would know someone died by the sound of the bells. Yeah, I didn't know that either. There was a whole code system too, because I'm like, how do you just not know it's just not the regular church bells going off? But there was like a whole code system of like, I don't know, three by two meant it was a man and three by three rings meant it was a woman who died. And then the bell would dong for like the age of the person. So like just by listening to the bells, like you could guess who died. Like, I'm like, holy shit. Oh, man. So if you have like an old person that's like 95 years old, the bell's going to go off 95 times. <laughs> you can stop it at like 20 (laughs) they're a multiplier like how do you do a tune for a multiplier (laughs) and who's doing it like the hunchback (laughs) that's that's running the the church is he doing it with the bell he's gonna do it 95 times yeah he's gonna be the next one to die over there (laughs) ringing the bell i don't know if you watched it peaky blinders no. So it was like 1900 era time. And I don't really remember the bells, but when like someone died in the show, obviously, like they did the whole carriage thing and like the body, you could see like the body. It was a clear, say, like see through carriage. So you could see like the casket in it. And that, like, that just, that's what I think of. Like, as you were saying that, I was thinking like that's what was happening in the azars obviously it probably wasn't like a fancy wagon that they were using like it probably wasn't see-through you probably couldn't see the casket inside the wagon but i was just like oh i'm thinking of like peaky blinders and it kind of gives me that vibe that's interesting too because the azores is like behind on everything because it's so remote so like if that was happening in the 1900s here they were probably still doing that shit in 19 19- 60 in the azores like it's you know what i mean it's just true a little bit delayed yeah like they're not using hearses <laughs> no hearses I don't, I don't know what they use now the toyota corolla <laughs> oh <laughs> toyota so could just pay off the rest of my loan if they want <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great Oh, so speaking of the Azores kind of being like last to things, another response I got on Reddit was talking about how the Azores was one of the last places to end the tradition of the coins in the eyes on the dead people. That I think that was a pagan thing they said of putting mm-hmm. the coins in the dead people's eyes. And they said that the Azores was one of the last people to like not do that. Which I didn't look that up to verify if that was true or not, but that's just what this person said. And I could picture it being true because it's almost like they're just the last to get the memo because they're so remote and i want to say that happened in peaky blinders too (laughs) is peaky blinders set in the azores 
<laughs> it was in England, so not like all that far away, but <laughs> European. So that's all Mishmakosa. Now we're going to get into like the actual like putting the body in the ground and then taking the body back out of the ground. It's called recycling, okay? <laughs> Ever heard of it? The Portuguese are masters of recycling and graves were no different. It's a space thing. You're on an island. There's only so much space. Mm-hmm. You need to reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> so morbid. But I can confirm this because my grandparents got dug up and their bones are in a box right now. And still in the cemetery, like in a in a cause, but they're in a box. Their space is probably filled with someone else at this point. You're using, yeah, you're renting, you're leasing. (laughs) (laughs) Rent a lot. (laughs) Here we, we, you purchase your plot to be buried. There it's a short-term lease. They're using the, the burial process and the nature of your body going underground as like the decomposition mechanism. And then they're just like, get those bones out of there. That's a good plot for another body. I think I want to say it was like seven years. Seven seems to be the number that I see most often. So they let you rot for seven years underground and then they dig you up. And I can only imagine that for a variety of just kind of environmental reasons, you may or may not be fully decomposed by that point. And so they would add lime to the bodies, I guess, or put lime on them so that they could decompose faster. They would dig the bodies up. If they weren't fully decomposed, they would like add more lime, put them back in, let them seep for another seven years, and then they tried digging it up again. To do that as a job. Some interesting stuff that I came across. These were like just like Google chat conversations. I don't even know how I had access to these. Like I just Googled and this like conversations came up and I was reading them. So I'm going to quote from this person who wrote in this Google group. It says, quote, in the old days, if a grave is dug and the body was still intact, it was reburied for another seven years. If it is still intact, the body after that time is taken and put on a boat and taken out to sea where they would beat the body and dump it in the ocean. No. No. He signed off Manny. This is from Manny. I don't know who, Manny who, but. <laughs> no, I'm not going to believe this, Manny. And so people were asking him follow-up questions because they were like, they beat the body? Like, what are you even talking about? And people were just like debating that. The group seemed to come to the consensus that seemed like a one-off situation because this person was not well-liked. Like it was like a bad person, maybe like a criminal okay. or something. They took it upon their own hand take care of it. I could picture them disposing of more bodies out to sea. You're on that island. You're running out of space. Where you put in the bodies? I want to say I'm, I'm almost not against being like put into sea. You're like you're one with the ocean. You're one with the world. Beating them up? No, that's not cool. No. But like at least like let my family know. Hey, like her seven years is up. We're digging her up. Do you want her to be in the ocean? Let my family know that I'm in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, who's signing the consent forms for this shit? Like, right. Who's consenting to this? That would be one way to solve their, their space problem. Until all the bodies start washing up in Rob's pish. <laughs> oh, I know. So apparently there's even like an adage about the whole lime process of like adding lime to the to the bodies to decompose. So the adage is he's gotten his dose of lime is a way of saying that someone has died and is already buried in all the things that i was reading where people were talking about the burial customs they were talking about how it's like not uncommon to like if you're visiting cemeteries to like see the bones like poking out somewhere they're just very loose fast and loose with the bones where they (laughs) leave the bones and stuff so like somebody said oh like there was just like like a box or a burial container and like they just like pushed the top out of the way and it was just like a skull like staring at them and it was like oh my god oh my god not to make this into a funny situation but like my aunt that still lives out there my mom's sister her husband passed away and i think i told you this they have a dog he walks to the cemetery every day where my uncle is buried and like the cemetery gatekeepers he will call my aunt and be like, hey, snack the taki. If, if I'm on the road, I'm going to send him back home. I want you to know that he's on his way. So, you know, so you know that he's showing up home, like he's going to be home. <laughs> like giving my aunt a heads up because he can't be here. He does it every day. I'm just thinking if he like, if he's the type of dog that likes bones, <laughs> you know where I was going with this. That's where I thought you were going initially with it when you talked about the dog going to the cemetery. I was like, oh my God, the dog's going to come home with the uncle's bones in his mouth. <laughs> I haven't heard any stories like that. I just thought it was like super cute that he goes to the cemetery every day. But I was just like, ooh, what if that cemetery guy isn't there one day <laughs> and the dog slips in? He's going to get a good prize for his efforts. Oh man, I did not know that bones are kind of just hanging out. So the most extreme example, I guess, of the bones just hanging out, this one's on purpose, but they have the, I guess they're called ossuaries, just like bone chapels, I guess, Capella dos Ossos. And that's like a whole thing. We looked at pictures of that in Portugal on the mainland and they have like, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's just a chapel. And it's just skulls and like bones femurs and patellas and tibias and fibulas <laughs> on the wall like just tarsals metatarsals phalanges <laughs> lining every inch of this place on the walls and the floor i don't know the ceiling who knows i want to check one of those places out do you like do, do they have like id like have they etched the bones to like know who's who like how do you you walk through there and you're like titi 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 <laughs> You don't know who was like, I don't know. I don't, I, I highly doubt there's a way to record all that. I think those bones are all probably really ancient bones, right? Maybe mm. like really old stuff that they've dug up. I don't know. Like, are they adding new bones to there? We'll just think that to make us feel better about it. It just seems so morbid for like the Portuguese people who are so fearful of death and all this shit. Mm. But yet they're going to just go excavate the bones and put them on display in a chapel. It was just another way to get space. They like had this like normal regular chapel. <laughs> and they were 
like, you know what we can do <laughs> with these bones? Let's decorate <laughs> it inside. Do you think they're structural? Are they holding up the roof at this point? You might have to go in there and check. <laughs> give them a give them a citation. <laughs> <laughs> we always take you from like a shady subject into a mental health topic because why not, right? <laughs> Today's mental health topic is information overload. So hopefully we haven't information overloaded you today in this episode. <laughs> information anxiety, information overload, just different words that folks have used to describe this phenomenon, I guess. And it's a condition in which you're basically just bombarded with information that surpasses your ability to filter, interpret, and retain it. Mm. And we are in a constant state of information overload. Like that's we're living 24 hours a day in information overload. We have it right. We have all the information we need in our pockets. And we think back to our childhood, which was a simpler time from where we are today. But then the things that we're just talking about, we're talking about our, you know, our parents' generation and their times and where they grew up. And like that was the ultimate form of simplicity. There was no information. <laughs> They were going off a system of bells, <laughs> bells yeah. ringing 10, 92 times to signify a death. Like that was how they were transferring information to where we are today, where we have 24 seven news cycle. That's fairly new. Like we didn't have that before. Even when we were kids, we didn't have a 24 cycle, like in our generation as children, something happened one night. We had to wait for the next day to hear about it on the news. So now we're just constantly getting bombarded like the news. You've got apps on your phone and it's just like notifications pop up for all these news things from around the world. It's not even local. Oh, yeah. Even back in the day, you were more watching the TV for your local news versus now you're getting global news at your fingertips all day long. And it is too much. It is overwhelming. It's, we're not supposed to know all this information. I feel like you're really good at not looking at your phone for news wise. In our conversations, I'll be like, oh my God, did you guys hear so-and-so what happened? And you're like, yeah, I heard, but I didn't read. Like, you're very good at being like, I didn't read about it because I don't want to know. Yeah, so that's intentional. I've intentionally, like, I've recognized that news is bad for me. Me, I'll read it all day. I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. And I actually, so as part of my cleansing that I just started doing of information, one of the things I deleted was the just the standard news app that came on your phone because I was never going into it, but it was still sending me push notifications and I just deleted it. Oh, well, I have like a news, then I have like a CNN one, and then I have like e news that comes up. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. I want nothing to do with any of that. I deleted even, <laughs> even just like the most basic, like Apple news, news one, yeah, one that comes with the phone. So I just, I can't, I don't want to know. I see enough of it just in my other travels. Like normally, like if you're scrolling TikTok or something like that, which is yeah. an issue. But if you're doing something like that, there's people there talking about things that happened in the news. So you're kind of getting it secondhand there. And that's how I, sometimes I know a little bit about what you're talking about. And then other times I just, I'm like, nope, that hasn't made it to my TikTok page yet. You know? <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's news feeds, notifications, updates, messages across multiple social networking platforms and apps. Massive, endless amounts of information available through search engines. 
just as an example, I went to go Google how to reduce information overload. And I was overloaded and overwhelmed by the amount of search results that came up. I was like, nope, I can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. It's endless. Endless. You could just keep clicking through the pages and you will just get page after page after page of search results on this topic, on any topic. How many search result pages do you go into? If it's not on the first page, it doesn't exist for me personally. Same. I'm just like a first page person. I don't go any further. Occasionally. If the first page is like sketchy, I'll move on. But like if the first first right, page yeah. has what I need, I ain't going any further. Half the time I'm Googling like medical stuff. So <laughs> it comes right up on the first page. So the interesting thing about this that I thought about as I was prepping for this episode and I got overwhelmed, like I said, by all the results on this topic that I was just researching. And I said, this is why I use Wikipedia. This is why I am obsessed with Wikipedia. It's because it compiles and summarizes all of the information on a particular topic for me in a consistent, predictable way. Yeah, like a nice format. Nice, easy to read format, clean, clutter-free predictable you know the sections it's going to have and it's already summarizing kind of the breadth of information that's out there on a particular topic so i don't have to go read a hundred articles about the same freaking topic to garner my information and make heads or tails of it i just go to wikipedia and it's already done that work for me and so and there's a wikipedia topic for everything i'm able to put the blinders on to everything else and i'm able to just not be overloaded with information I can just read and just if I want to continue down a path, I can go to the the sites that are referenced in the Wikipedia article and start clicking through those. Or I can just do my own research outside of Wikipedia if I want so choose. But I can usually be pretty content sitting right there <laughs> in Wikipedia. <laughs> negatives associated with information overload. There's negatives to this. <laughs> Brain fog, irritability, difficulty focusing, frequent interruptions. For me, it's like I'm constantly, the amount of times I tell my family, like my husband and my child, that I need a minute. I need a minute. Just give me a minute to just process whatever. Sometimes it's even just like playing too many devices at once. Like my daughter will have something on the big TV. My husband will be listening to something on his phone with the volume up. And I'm trying to consume my own thing on my phone or ipad or something and i'm like guys 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 i can my brain can't process three different things going on at the same time volume up on all of them like no yeah i couldn't agree more on that both my parents have their youtubes on their phone both loud and i'm like how are you guys both focusing on what you're watching when you guys sitting on the same couch on opposite ends and you guys are both watching your stuff on youtube and you guys both have it on like really loud how like how are you guys even focusing you you become an expert at like tuning out you start to like tune things out but then then i'm just like tuning out everything and like my kid will be calling for me and i'm like i don't <laughs> i don't hear it i don't hear it i've done i turned the volume down in my head and <laughs> it's part of the background noise now you know there were more negatives associated with this. I wasn't done with my list yet. I just had to go into that tangent. But difficulty prioritizing the information, procrastination, indecision, overwhelm, inability to verify that the information is true. 
due to the sheer volume of information encountered and mental fatigue. Woohoo. So an example, there was a, a psychology professor, Daniel Levitin, and there was a quote from him. It says, in 1976, there were 9,000 products in the average grocery store, and now it's ballooned to 40,000 products. And yet most of us can get our shopping done in just 150 items. So you're having to ignore tens of thousands of items every time you go shopping. Something as simple as grocery shopping. Wow. Which is, which is not a place you would associate information overload with, but it's just that's how prevalent and pervasive it is in our lives. Isn't that the truth right there? Holy shit. I did not think of that. And it's just decisions. You're making like micro decisions like throughout the whole time you're shopping there. Like it's just information. You're constantly processing and making decisions. So how to reduce information clutter? Mm, I don't know. Again, there was so much information on it that I was overwhelmed. But I picked out three that I thought were the best or the mm, just to prioritize. And one of them was kind of being an active consumer of information and not a passive consumer. So be intentional with the goals you set for the information you engage with. If you're scrolling, you're not just mindless scrolling just to scroll and passively take things in. You're either scrolling with a purpose like, hey, I'm looking for this or what can I take out of this? And obviously we consuming it less often is also helpful. But the other thing is a brain dump. When you have things swirling around in your head, they're just like clogging up the works. So just getting stuff out of your head and onto paper helps because then you know you can refer back to it. You're no longer using your active mind space and your your memory, your processing power <laughs> for holding all of those things. For us, for our podcast, we've started using Trello as a way to kind of brain dump our pod topics and structure our episodes and stuff. So Trello is just, I don't know if it's a website, Trello.com, T-R-E-L-L-O. I had not heard of it, but you create these boards and these lists and all kinds of things, and it helps keep things organized. It's pretty cool. It's working very well for the podcast. And we're also using it for my family. I have a whole separate Trello account to manage my family. We're planning vacations on there. We like have household chores and lists and all kinds of stuff that we're keeping on Trello. Lists of which movies we want to watch, movies that are upcoming that or shows we want to get into. Like just uh, there's a board for everything. <laughs> it's a cool way to organize your life. So I, I find it very helpful as a brain dump tool. And then finally, just purge, unsubscribe, unsubscribe all. I've been currently doing that with my emails. I'm like, I have way too many junk emails from stores and all that stuff. So I'm currently working on unsubscribing. You unsubscribe, you'll take, it's a huge, massive undertaking to go through and unsubscribe from everything, but then they come back. It's, it's not working. The unsubscribe is un ineffective because you're just like, I swear I unsubscribe from this like nine times already and you just keep getting them. I agree. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like once you're in, you're just stuck in there. Do you know how many times I've tried to unsubscribe to like the bump? <laughs> like the not? Dude, I am 11 years past my marriage. I'm not trying to have another one. <laughs> I haven't been pregnant in seven years. I don't need to know that my baby is the size of a grapefruit. Like, I don't have a baby. <laughs> 
it like it must just not work so i feel like the way that a lot of companies get around it is they have different things that you're quote-unquote subscribed to so when you hit when you get an email you hit unsubscribe you're unsubscribing from their second tuesday of the month newsletter you didn't unsubscribe from their third tuesday of the month newsletter yeah so they have like separate buckets that they put all of their email communications in to truly get rid of them you'd have to unsubscribe individually from all these different categories of things that they're sending you no i agree once i like feel that it's getting bad again i just go through and i just clean house and then yeah i just wait till it builds back up and then i have to get back in there but well on that note don't unsubscribe to us (laughs) so make sure you are subscribed to us and pass it along to your friends and have them subscribe to our podcast (laughs) yes purge everything else in your life to make more room for us right and now that there won't be any TV shows because of the riot strike. <laughs> Listen to some podcasts. This is our apprentice moment. <laughs> We're about to be president, Kel. <laughs> oh, shit. I'll be VP. I'll be VP. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. As always, guys, thank you so much. Have a great week. <laughs>